Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for, uh, it's a little bit warmer today, but it's not rainy and it's not unbearable, uh, the heat, Lord, we thank you for uh, giving us a very blessed Sundays these past few Sundays. We thank you for this piece of property uh, that we have, that we can have such a service on, we can gather together and worship you together, uh, even if we're, we're still having to stay distance and uh, personal fellowship is a little bit hindered uh, for now. Lord, we thank you that we can do this, and we thank you that we can plan on having a VBS, and we're looking forward uh, to, to uh, putting that on and, and being able to serve our community and the families in our community in that way. Uh, so, Lord, we, we, we welcome you here. We know you are here, but we thank you that you are our good and perfect Father. And as it's Father's Day and our minds are geared towards that, even if we had not the greatest earthly fathers, uh, we thank you that we've always had a good father. And that's, that's you. We've always had a good father. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you for always being there for us. Even if we weren't always looking for you, you were always looking out for us. And, uh, Lord, we come before you as your children bought with the blood of Christ uh, to bring you our praise and our worship this morning. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this setting is a perfect setting uh, for our first song, and is especially as it is Father's Day today, and we think about our Heavenly Father and how good He is to us and all that He does for us and all that He is for us. Uh, we can we can look around and we, see, and we, we say all nature sings uh, and round me rings. We, we can, uh, all of God's creation praises who He is, and we, that's quite evident as we look around us at the trees and and uh, the grass and the and the beautiful weather and the birds singing. Everything is even though it, we, it may be a little hard to hear a little bit. Everything in their own way is singing its praises to God. That's what the Book of Psalms says. The Book of Book of Psalms says that God's creation cries out its praises. It declares His handiwork. It declares His existence. It declares His honor and His holiness. Uh, so. We're going to join in with the creation all around us in worshiping our Heavenly Father. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings. The Lord is king, let the heavens 
as we think about our Heavenly Father, we think about everything that He does for us and, and how He has offered us forgiveness for our sins and adoption into His family. There's something else our Heavenly Father did that we might not always think about, and especially on Father's Day, and we'll, we'll be talking about this more in a little bit. But our Father made the greatest sacrifice of all time when He sent His Son to die for our sins. And that Savior is the only reason why we can be sitting here, why we can have any hope and peace in this world. And that name is the name above all names, the only name that offers us salvation and peace and hope. That name is Jesus. There is a truth a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us. This last song in our worship set this morning is one that we've been, uh, we, we introduced it a few weeks ago when we've been going over uh, for the past few weeks. And it reminds us that even in the midst of this crisis or if we're going through individual crises, uh, different losses of different things or fears or uh, heartbreaking uh, experiences we're going through, 
And it feels like, and it seems like, and it looks like God is not here, God is not moving, God is not working. That simply isn't true. He is always here. He is always moving. And maybe we're going through a certain experience to teach us something. Maybe it's to help us to let go of something. Maybe it's to drive us to put more and more of our trust in him. I don't know. He knows. He's, he's our father. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he has a perfect plan. So let's worship him for that. thank you for today. Once again, we thank you for Father's Day. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to uh, thank our fathers, thank our earthly fathers for all that they've done for us. And even if we didn't have the greatest fathers uh, as uh, growing up, we're, we're thankful to you. We thank you uh, that you have always been there for us and you have always taught us and grown us and provided for us and given us the strength that we need and made us the people that we are today. 
So Lord, we gather together before you to open up your word and once again hear what you have for us this morning. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've been saying over and over and over again, I am very grateful for all, all the hard work that's been done on our church community garden over here and the whole property here. There's been a few people that have been very hard at work over the past few weeks. And several of you have already expressed interest in planting seeds and seedlings uh, in anticipation for a fall harvest over here in our garden over here. And here's my shameless plug. It's not too late. It's not too late to jump in and plant some things. You can harvest and, and uh, what you plant for yourself and whatever abundance there is after that, uh, you can give away to your church family and you can donate to our food pantry so our clients have fresh vegetables in their diet. It's a fantastic use of the land that God has given to us. So if you are at all interested and want more information, you can talk to Jeff Skivenis. You're welcome, Jeff. All right. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't just bring that up out of nowhere, for it factors perfectly into our message this morning. I had a conversation with somebody after the service last week and how perfect this environment is, right here where, where we are, uh, to talking about all these parables having to do with seeds and planting and harvesting and weeds and most pertinent to our discussion today, right here, these mighty and strong trees, these mighty and strong trees. And this person said that during the message in which we talked about us being followers of Jesus, being like mighty trees, firmly planted and withstanding storm after storm and still standing strong, they looked up at the trees and noticed that as the wind blew the branches, and we have a bit of a breeze, which is a welcome on, today, on a day like today, uh, that as the breeze was blowing the branches, uh, and the branches were going back and forth force, forcefully, that as this person looked further down the tree, they noticed that the bottom of the tree removed immovable. That did not move. That did not shift. The bottom of the tree where the roots are was staunchly unmoving. These deep and strong roots were what kept the tree unmoving, even as the branches blew violently around at the top. And I thought that observation was so good, I'm borrowing it for our message this morning. What am I holding up right now? Actually, I'm holding up nothing. So those of you who said you're not holding up a thing, you were right. But um, my point is this, even if I was holding up a single seed right now, you still wouldn't be able to see it because it would be so small. And we'll get to why I brought that up in a minute. So if you brought your Bible with you today, <clears throat> please turn to Matthew chapter 13. We've been uh, going through Matthew chapter 13. And if you're looking around yourself and you said, whoa, gee, I forgot to bring my Bible today. You most likely brought a smartphone with you. Go to your app store. Type in life.church. They have a free Bible app. You can download that. Please also turn to Matthew 13. So we can all see this together. All right, so we're going to start in Matthew 13, 31. And we read this. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is the smaller, this is smaller, than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, this parable is only two verses long. You might have looked at your bulletin this morning and thought, wait a second, he's only preaching on two verses? This there's, parable is only two verses long, but there is a lot wrapped up in these two verses. I mean, that's what parables are all about, right? A lot of truth packed up in an itty-bitty image or story form. So this is the first parable in Matthew 13 that... Je Take a look at this. This is the first parable in Matthew 13 that Jesus does not directly interpret for his disciples. So guess what? We also 
don't have Jesus' outright interpretation of this either. But the many studies of many biblical scholars for over 2,000, or for uh, the past 2,000 years, have given us an interpretation that makes a lot of sense, especially in comparison to what else, with what else we know about the fullness of the earthly kingdom that Jesus will set up in the future. This parable is actually quite similar to the previous two. In this parable today, the man who plants the seed is, anybody want to take a guess again? Who's the man who plants the seed again? Jesus. He's the, he, he's the one who plants the seed. He goes into the field of the world and plants. And he plants a mustard seed in this parable. Now, critics of the Bible might point out that, hey, we have this whole wealth of human knowledge. The orchid seed is actually the smallest seed in the world. Don't you think God should have known that when he wrote the mustard seed is the smallest seed? The orchid seed is actually the smallest seed in the world. But when we're talking about Palestine, the mustard seed was the smallest seed that people living there at the time cultivated regularly. So it was the smallest seed that would make sense for Jesus to use for anyone to understand what he was getting at. So the smallest seed in, pa in, the, in Palestinian Jewish understanding was the mustard seed. But yet, as Jesus talks about it in this parable, what happens after it's planted? It ends up growing bigger than all the other plants in the same garden field, and it's big enough for birds to build nests in it. Now, when we initially hear this and initially process it, this just seems like any other tree. You might say, so what? You plant a seed and it grows into a tree. That's what happened with all these. What's so special about that? So, uh, sure, the mustard seed is the smallest seed when it comes to trees. What, our initial thought is that doesn't sound very profound. Why is Jesus specifying the mustard seed? But there is one very profound thing to know about mustard trees that grow from seed. Mustard trees, especially around the Sea of Galilee, can grow to be about 10 feet tall and sometimes can grow up to 15 feet tall. Again, you might say, so what? These trees are a lot taller than that. Why is Jesus using this image? While that doesn't sound all that impressive, especially when you compare that height to most of the trees on this property, what is profound about the mustard seed and that height is that the mustard seed, the smallest seed in Palestinian Jewish understanding, grows to a height of between 10 to 15 feet in a single season from a seed. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? A tree that grows 10 to 15 feet tall from the smallest seed in a single season. These trees did not get this tall in a single season. That's why you can count rings on them to determine how old they are. This a mustard tree grows from a single seed that was the smallest seed in existence in a single season, 10 to 15 feet tall. Now that is impressive, don't you think? That is profound. And now we understand why Jesus used this as his illustration. Now keep in mind what this mustard tree is supposed to represent. What does he say? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. So what is this seed and tree supposed to represent? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Similar to last week's parable, this aspect of the kingdom of God was unheard of in Jewish thought from the Old Testament scriptures. In Jewish understanding, and we kind of see this as people are interacting with Jesus, but in the Jewish understanding of the future kingdom of God on earth, it comes abruptly, seemingly out of nowhere. God just poof, shows up out of nowhere, set, defeats all evil, and sets up his kingdom. That was how the Jewish understanding was of this from the Old Testament scriptures. But does a tree even... A mustard tree just pop up out of nowhere. All of a sudden you got a 10 to 15 feet uh, tall tree out of nowhere. No, it's gradual, right? You plant the seed and then what do you do? You wait. I mean, you water it and, ma and maintain the soil and nurture it and all that. But mostly you wait. You plant the seed and you wait. 
it sprouts and then you watch it get bigger and bigger each day. But the important thing to know and remember about how this connects to this parable is that it's not big enough or not full enough or complete enough until it's at the end of the season and it's fully grown and big enough for several different birds to build nests in its branches. That's when it's done growing. That's when it's complete. In the same way, similar to, the, to last week's parable about the wheat and the tares, and even to the parable a couple of weeks ago about the seed sown on four different types of soil, Jesus planted the kingdom as a seed during his first advent to earth. It lay there unnoticed until the first sign of a sprout popped up out of the dirt on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the death of Jesus on Passover, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 believers gathered in the upper room of a house in Jerusalem. That was day one of Jesus's church, the day of Pentecost. And that very same day, what do we read in the book of Acts? It's only in, around for a few hours. The church of Jesus Christ is in existence for a few hours and it all of a sudden multiplies from 120 to 3,000 in a few hours. It already is over 3,000 people big. From that day on, about another 1,990 years later, that tree has still been growing. But it won't come to full maturity until Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. That waiting period, that growth period, will keep going until Jesus sets up his kingdom. There's that gradual aspect of the mustard tree growing from seed into maturity of the kingdom. And as the farmer can see the mustard tree growing, but not quite there yet, what does he know in his head? Is he thinking to himself as he's watching this thing grow, boy, I hope it actually comes. I hope it actually comes to, to maturity. No, he knows what's coming. He can see it growing and he knows it's going to be complete. He knows it's going to be mature. He knows it's going to be full. It's not quite there yet, but he knows it's coming. And that way, as the farmer watches that tree grow, he's catching glimpses of what the fully grown tree will look like. In the same way, during this waiting time of the kingdom, of that kingdom tree growing, known in theology as the current church age, we're catching glimpses at what the full kingdom on earth and heaven will look like. We talked about that quite a bit as we went over each of the spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gives, gives us in the here and now as we await the fullness of the kingdom. And we catch glimpses of the abundance and the peace and the brotherly love of that kingdom every now and then as well. Even during the, the, the midst of this current crisis we continue to be in, we've seen glimpses of brotherly love, right? People helping other people, helping local restaurants and businesses that have been shut down during this time. But they're only glimpses. At one point or another, humanity resumes its selfish intentions, unfortunately, because that's just the way we are because of our sinfulness. But there will be a day when we will witness a time on earth of unprecedented abundance, peace, and love. And another very strong, very apparent, and very clear glimpse at the coming kingdom is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us right now. He is the deposit. He is the, he is the down payment on our heavenly home. If we can sense and experience the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts right now, moving and leading and changing us and transforming us, we know we have a heavenly home to look forward to. All of the Holy Spirit pruning you and all that pain, spiritual painfulness you're going through, the flip side of that, the good news of that, means 
you have a heavenly home being prepared for you. If there wasn't any pruning going on, and you weren't going through any spiritual transformation, and you weren't going through trials and painful times so God can grow you, that is something to worry about. So everybody who thinks once you become a Christian, you just have an easy life, that, that is not the way it works at all. That is not the way it works at all. In fact, if God is growing you and using trials to, to, to stretch you and to drag you kicking and screaming sometimes, you know that you have a heavenly home waiting for you. And that's the best news you could have. One of the purposes of these glimpses of the coming kingdom in the here and now is to remind us of what's coming, just as the farmer watching that tree grow. It's to remind us of what is coming. Even as things look and are very dark and heartbreaking and depressing in this world, especially during this crisis, we know that this kingdom is coming. It is coming. And that gives us hope now. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us right now, and one day God promises that he will dwell and love us among his people in the heavenly kingdom. That is coming. That's a sure thing. But for now, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for now. Now I just want to switch gears for a minute here in connection with this parable and then we'll come back to this topic of being in this time of waiting and watching known as the church age knowing the full kingdom is coming. But for now, I just want to switch gears for a minute. I want to touch on this representation of the birds making their nests in this mustard tree. Now when you've read over this in the past, you might not have thought much about this reference to these birds. You might have just had the initial thought of, well, okay, that's simply a description of how big this tree is and how well it's able to support all these birds and their nests. That is a good initial observation uh, to come to, and we'll come back to that in a second, but there's something more scripturally deeper being represented here and going on here. You may or may not see in your version of the Bible, but at least in the NASB, the statement of the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. If you take a look at that, especially in the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, it's all in what? It's all in capital letters, right? So that means that it's a reference to an Old Testament verse or an Old Testament idea. And if you have a study Bible or a Bible with cross-references, you can see what those Old Testament verses are that reference this idea. So if you go and look up these verses within their context, you'll discover something. You'll discover that Jesus is making another reference to his future messianic earthly kingdom. The most important prophecies about this are found in Ezekiel and Daniel. And the most powerful prophetic image is found in Ezekiel 17. In it, God reveals that although a mighty tree, the nation of Israel, will be stripped of its beauty and uprooted from its land, God will take a tender sprig from the top of it and plant it on a high mountain. Anyone who has familiarity with the Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament will immediately make the connection to the tender shoot that springs from the root of David's father, Jesse, from the prophet Isaiah, which is obviously referring to the Messiah coming from the stump of Israel and more specifically, the great King David's bloodline. And all that is wrapped up in Jesus saying, and the birds will come and make nests in this tree. In Ezekiel 17, this tender sprig is planted by God on the top of a high mountain, and it grows into a mighty tree bearing fruit. And most important to this morning's parable, birds of every kind will come and nest in its branches. So in complete connection to this morning's parable, being about the coming future kingdom of Jesus on earth, when Ezekiel prophesies about it, he also makes references to birds of every kind building nests in it. 
In Ezekiel's prophecy, which Jesus is most likely referencing the same meaning of this, the birds of every kind are the nations of the world that will come under the protective umbrella of Jesus' kingship. In other words, while not everyone living in Jesus' 1,000-year-long earthly kingdom will believe in him as their Messiah and as their God, nor ask him for forgiveness of their sins and surrender their lives to him, they will still enjoy the protective peace of his government. And then at the end, we find out from Revelation that when Satan is released from his thousand-year-long imprisonment, they'll, these people, these very same people, will pay the true king back for his kingdom of peace, abundance, and governmental stability and peace. In wisdom, you know, the whole thing we've been longing for all this time, by turning against him, following Satan's deception, and, and making war against his people and rebelling against him. Jesus will win. Well, he will absolutely win this final battle, of course, and Satan and all of his followers will finally be thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity. But all the while, even during this thousand-year-long earthly kingdom, Jesus will be extending grace and the opportunity to accept him as both king and and Savior. All right, that was us switching gears. Now back to the mustard tree. It all starts with the tiniest of seeds. It all starts with each of us hearing the message that Jesus died and rose again for us to take our place and pay the payment we all deserve to pay. It's the simplest of messages to believe and place all of our trust in, just like the tiniest of seeds. But the problem is that we as humans say, surely it can't be that simple. Surely it can't be that simple. So we complicate everything. We change up everything to believe that instead of trusting in the fact that Jesus took our well-deserved place and asking for his forgiveness, we just have to try to do as many good things as we can try to, to outweigh the bad. And if we really stopped and thought about the impossibility of that, we would recognize how truly ludicrous that idea is. If we think that our eternity has anything to do with anything we can do for ourselves other than trust someone else, we've got it wrong. We've got it wrong. No amount of praying a certain amount of times a day or facing a specific direction while doing it or following a set number of rules or thinking an unfounded thought that we're somehow good enough if we don't kill anyone in cold blood is going to cut it. All of those ideas are wrong. None of that is going to cut it. What that is, is adding a bunch of disconnected fluff and garbage to what has already been revealed as to the truth of how we have a relationship with God and the hope of spending our eternity, eternity after we die with him in his kingdom. It's all really very simple, like the tiniest mustard seed. The very simple truth is that we all sin. The very simple truth is that we're all sinners. Like I said last week, if you don't think that, you don't think you sin, you don't think you're a sinner, you're a liar. And I'm telling you that to your face. You're a liar. It's very simple. It's all very simple once you cut away all the humanly added on garbage. We are sinners. And since our sin separates us from God, we need somebody to save us. We need a savior from that sin and the well-deserved payment that goes along with that. The payment for our sin is death, both physical death, which we'll still all experience someday, but also spiritual death, what is known as the second death and is described as a place of spiritual, emotional, and physical torment in the parable we talked about last week, a place called hell. But God 
in his love, provided a way for us to escape from that. Praise God. Amen. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus, came to earth and paid that payment for us. And then he rose again three days later to show his power over our greatest enemy, death, and to give us new spiritual life. The simple mustard seed truth is that all we have to do is accept that as the absolute truth and place all of our trust in what happens to us after we die in that. That's it. That's the simple mustard seed truth. No more adding to that. No more complicating that. The Bible tells us that as soon as we come to that conclusion, we're adopted into God's family. He becomes our good and perfect Heavenly Father. We receive all of the spiritual blessings and inheritance that comes along with that. And we get the 100% assurance of being a part of Jesus' coming kingdom and eternity spent in his light and love, enjoying a home where there will be no tears, no heartbreak, no lack, no fear, no darkness, forever and ever. And once we accept that simple mustard seed message as the truth, like the church age in this morning's parable, the Holy Spirit immediately comes and makes a home within us. And the tiniest sprout of faith shoots up in our lives. As we continue to surrender more and more of our lives to the King's authority in the here and now, that sprout grows bigger and bigger. As we spend more and more time in His Word and communing with Him in prayer, our roots sink down into the earth deeper and deeper. And so like we first started out this morning's message with that person I was talking to, their observation last week, when the wind blows and the storms of life beat at us and the pandemics and national crises arise, we may get blown around a little bit. We may get a little blown off course and distracted and we may become a little bit afraid. But if our roots are deep, we're not going anywhere. If our roots are deep, we will not get blown over. We won't wither. We will remain strong and staunchly standing tall. And others will see that. Just like we can say, look at that mighty tree right there. Look at how the wind blows its branches back and forth, but nothing moves at the bottom. People will see that. And, that will, and they will wonder, how in the world can you be like that in such a trying time as this? Loved ones are lost, sources of income have disappeared, health is being threatened. How can you be like that? And you can extend a mustard seed of truth to them and say, take this. Take this mustard seed of the simple truth of Jesus and plant it in your life and God will grow it into a strong and mighty tree too. It's not me. Just take this seed and plant it in your life and God will grow you into a mighty tree too. Like these strong and tall trees all around us as beacons of strength and resilience let us be marvels to those who see us. And when they wonder, let us be quick to give them that mustard seed of simple truth in Jesus' death and resurrection so they too can be a firmly planted and mighty tree. So, while we are still in this waiting period of growth before the full maturation of the tree of the future kingdom of Jesus, let us not grow weary. Let us not grow weary. But especially in this trying and dark time, let us be filled with the strength of the power of God as we live our lives in every way for him and as we do the work he has for us to do. Just as in this morning's parable, this period of growth, even though it's also a period of waiting, shows us and proves to us that the kingdom is coming. It's coming. So let us live the rest of our lives in light of that. 
And as the Apostle James writes to the scattered followers of Jesus about this waiting period, knowing the kingdom of co is coming, in James 5, 7 through 8, this is what I want to close our message with. Be patient. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and, like a tree, stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. It's coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this parable. Two verses, but so much is wrapped into it, wrapped up in it. So much truth and so much power. So Lord, as we transition into our communion service now, and then as we make our way back home after the service, Lord, I pray that the hope and the peace and the power and the strength of this message will take us into this coming week. Lord, I pray that we would rely 100% on your strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that if there's anybody here that might have heard this mustard seed of truth for the very first time, or they've heard it before but haven't given much thought until now, or they've heard it time after time and time after time again, but they haven't done anything with it, Lord, I pray that today they would do something with it. I pray that today they would recognize, honestly, stripping everything away between, you and the, uh, between them and you, recognize who they are. They're sinners. They need somebody to save them. And Lord, I pray that they will put their full and complete trust in you. Ask you for forgiveness of their sins right now and commit to live the rest of their lives for you as their king. And Lord, those of us who did that a long time ago and we might have lost the spark or we might have forgotten that your kingdom is coming, I pray that we would be renewed. That the, the peace and the hope and the strength of that being renewed in our minds and in our souls will rekindle a fire within us. And we'll go around handing out mustard seeds to everyone we meet so they too can have this message and become a firmly planted tree. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we gather together to observe communion this morning, it's fitting that it's also Father's Day. We thank God for the good earthly fathers and father figures, grandfathers, he's given to us and raising us. We also thank God for those fathers and grandfathers and mentors and father figures and those pouring into the next generation who are living as Christ-like men, stepping up and being the leaders that God has created and called them to be. We also think of and thank our Heavenly Father for His provision, protection, guidance, teaching, and love that He shows to us as our Father every single day. And there's one major display of God's fatherly love that stands out above all the rest. The famous verse, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, he's talking about the second death, but have eternal life. We often think of the unspeakable sacrifice that Jesus gave in willingly submitting himself to torture and, and death on a cross when we observe communion. And that's, that's good, that's good that we do that. But we may not always think about the sacrifice of love that the Father gave at the same time. When Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible tells us that the Father, because of his holiness, could not look upon Jesus as the sins of the world were placed upon him and had to turn away from him. And Jesus knew it. Jesus even cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew exactly what was going on. Fathers, grandfathers, and father figures here watching online, 
Think about how heart-wrenching it was for God the Father to hear those words from God the Son and still not do anything about it. Imagine it being your child that hung on that cross, going through that much pain, and hearing those words, Why have you forsaken me? That's unimaginable. Our hearts would get ripped out of our chests, wouldn't it? And imagine coming up with this plan to save humanity, even before the foundations of the world were laid. That's tremendous sacrifice on God the Father's part. He knew it was coming, and he didn't stop it. Why? Because of his love. Love for who? Love for us. Love for every single one of you being here today and those watching online later. The Heavenly Father went through that much spiritual and emotional torment because his love for us was stronger than knowing that was coming. That's the incredibly ultimate definition and expression of love. He loved us so much that he wanted to provide a way for escape for escape for, for us from the terrors of hell, no matter how painful he knew it would be for him. He loved us so much, he made a way for us to be able to be restored to him and to be adopted into his family and to become our heavenly father. And he loved us so much that he, he wanted to make a way for us to be able to spend eternity with him. Your Heavenly Father loves you so much that He did all of this so you could spend all of eternity with Him. He wants to spend eternity with you. And Jesus loved us so much that He willingly went through all of it. That is sacrifice. That is fatherly love. So as we partake in what represents the body and the blood of Jesus, let us think about and meditate on and remember the fatherly love that was poured out as the father willingly gave up his son to die on that cross to save us and to bring us into his family. So please take a minute to reflect on God's sacrifice and love for you as we prepare to partake in these elements. Please now take your communion cup, and like I said before, there should be a very thin piece of plastic uh, covering the, the cracker. It's the top seal. Peel off that top seal to reveal the cracker. And as you take that cracker, we read the words of Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now please take your cup and flip up that little tab and peel off the, be very, very careful. Do it very slowly so you don't spill this on yourself. You don't have to peel it off all the way so there's a less chance of it spilling on you. Peel it back very slowly and carefully to reveal the, the grape juice. And as you hold that, which represents Jesus' blood, Think on these words from Matthew 26, 27 through 28. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. As you take your song sheet back out, we'll be closing with our closing song.
like we talked about as we were observing communion this morning. When God was speaking out different things, let there be light, let there be oceans, let there be stars in the heavens, let there be a sun and a moon, let there be animals. And then when he, as he was doing all of that, he had in his mind, I know what I'm going to do thousands of years later. I know what I'm going to have to do. And so as he knelt down and he formed this human being out of dirt, and he breathed a breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Again, what was going through God the Father's mind was, I do this knowing what's going to happen and still doing it anyway. I know this. I do this knowing that I'm going to have to give my son up thousands of years later to redeem these human beings so they can be a part of my family. So as we sing this closing song, Wonderful Maker, and he talks about God creating the world, he still had all of this in his mind as he was doing this. And not only did he create the world and see that it was good and, saw, and declare that it was good, he sent his son for us and declared that it was good. And he did that so he could redeem us and he did that so he could adopt us into his family and he could become our Heavenly Father. Savior.
Brothers and sisters, as you go from this place and you celebrate the earthly fathers, uh, remember your good and perfect heavenly father. Thank him for the good earthly fathers he's given to you, and thank him for being him and all that he's done for you. Go in peace. See you next week. Amen.